0: recovery elevator episode 383
1: but the reality was there was a poison you know running through my veins every single night that was screwing with my sleep cycle
0: uh like this yeah that should work mix down (laughs) yeah keep going yo yo mix down three four yo yo mix down there we go seven eight Wiki, wiki, mix down. Guys in the house, I love it. Wiki, wiki, mix down. There we go. Three, four. Wiki, wiki. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. My name is Paul Churchill. It is so good to be here with you guys today. On today's episode, we have Philip. He's forty-six years old from Minneapolis, and took his last drink on February twenty-eighth, two thousand and sixteen. I hope you all liked the intro music. Chris and I had a fun time making it. There's also new outro music as well. I think you guys are going to like that. Listeners, we've got camping spots and men's cabin spots open for our annual flagship retreat in Bozeman, Montana, August 10th to the 14th. Go to the recoveryelevator.com website, link in the show notes. Thank you, Liz. And before we get any further, let's hear from Exact Nature.
2: Exact Nature was founded by a father and son in addiction recovery. Exact Nature's all-natural CBD products are specially formulated to help you face the exceptional challenges of recovery, and we are so grateful to have them as our sponsor. Beat your cravings with their Detox Blend. If you are interested in learning more, head on over to exactnature.com and use the promo code RE20 to receive a 20% discount on your order. That is RE20 at exactnature.com.
0: Hey, and listeners, I am doing a shout out for early sobriety interviews. If you are telling yourself, I would love to be on the Recovery Elevator podcast one day, but I don't have X amount of days. I don't have 30, 60, 90, a year, two years, 20, whatever, right? It doesn't matter. I want to hear from you. In fact, some of the most impactful interviews for our listeners and for myself are people who have the courage to come on this podcast with six days of sobriety. In fact, I remember a couple people emailing me saying, Hey, Paul, I know, we've got a, I know we've got an interview scheduled in a couple days. I drank, and I can't do it. And I always reply and say, No, now is the perfect time to do it. So sobriety isn't a requirement to do an interview on this podcast. What is a requirement is your desire, your goal to be alcohol-free. It's that simple. And sometimes the most relatable interview for the listener, who might be on day zero, one, two, three, whatever, is the person who comes on this podcast with two weeks away from alcohol. So if that's you, shoot us an email to info at recoveryelevator.com. And uh, yeah, we'll get you on. And please don't be offended or get your feelings hurt if we don't select you. We get a lot of interview requests. In fact, this morning I went through my email and we had three. And one of them was an actor from NCIS. (laughs) that uh, I recognize the face. I don't watch that show, but we also don't do actors on here. We have found the more relatable interviews are people um, just like you and myself, the Joe Schmo that, that, uh, that are just going through daily life. One more thing, be sure to follow Recovery Elevator on Instagram. We're having fun with the new direction of reels and videos. It's also a great way to figure out the upcoming events for Recovery Elevator. Okay, listeners, let's get started. This is exciting. We are at chapter four. This is the first episode of chapter four, a new beginning. But before we get into that, I want to thank Odette. Odette did 92 interviews and 60 intros for the Recovery Elevator podcast. In February of 2020, I recognized I needed a break. Odette took the torch and not only kept it lit, but she took us to a whole new level. She took us from 6 million downloads to over 8 million. She brought a completely different perspective to ditching the booze, dropped countless value bombs, and I was able to tune in every Monday as a listener. was also on this af journey what a cool life experience for me so thank you so much odette and please reach out to her and thank her for her service okay here's the plan for chapter four which will consist of 52 episodes chris and myself will be splitting the interviews i'll do most of the intros introductions with chris doing one out of every six intros And let myself or Chris know if there are any topics and specific you want us to cover. Just email info at recoveryelevator.com. Listeners, my first interview is this episode with Philip. It's awesome to be behind the mic again doing the interviews. I can attribute so much of my sobriety from what I've learned from the interviewee. So listeners, when listening to the interviewee, my advice is to really listen. Sometimes the interviewee will be directly speaking to you saying exactly what you need to hear in that very moment. And I loved Philip's No Matter What Club. He talks about it today. No matter what, Philip isn't drinking. It's no longer an option. Just like Spanish conquistador Hernan Cortes burned all of his ships in 1519 on the coast of Veracruz, Mexico, before successfully conquering the Aztec Empire, returning to the bottle is no longer an option for Philip. So I can't wait to learn more from you, the interviewee, in Chapter 4. And if you want to be on the podcast, email info at recoveryelevator.com. And again, don't take it personal. We get a bunch of submissions. So chapter four. Last episode, I talk about clearing space for this next chapter. You can't grasp what that will look like when alcohol is present. This is a reason why it's so hard to quit drinking, is because it's a fear of the unknown. Even if you wake up at 3 a.m. each morning with night sweats and heart palpitations, unconsciously, this is still preferred over a sober night's sleep because it's familiar. It's known. I know this sounds strange. We have trouble grasping and visualizing a life without alcohol. Reason why is the brain, the thinking mind, is a snapshot, a balance sheet, a record of everything that's happened in the past. It doesn't do the future well. So creating and visualizing with the mind takes a considerable amount of neural bandwidth or energy. The left side of the brain, logistics, needs to communicate with the right side of the brain, future planning, to create your new sober life. None of this is possible with alcohol because the alcohol is consuming too much energy. When drinking, the digestive system, liver, pancreas, stomach, and more say, oh shit, all hands on deck, we need to get rid of this dog shit poison before digesting food, before healing the body, or creating anything worth a damn in your life. You can't create when there is this amount of stress and toxicity in the body and mind. Again, alcohol jumps the cue. It gets processed first. All the systems in the body recognize this is a poison that has to be dealt with ASAP right now. So physically and mentally, you just can't heal or create anything of value in your future. It's this simple. There isn't time left to create, to plan, or to visualize. So first, the alcohol has to go. And then the new life will start to emerge. Now with this new life, my recommendation is to let it unfold. Be the observer and see what happens. Don't try to control every aspect of your new life. In fact, relax because nothing is control in the first place. Listeners, nearly eight years ago, I spent the night in a suicide-proof jail cell in Livingston, Montana. Why? I got a DUI and I told them I was suicidal, which I was. A couple of days ago, I found myself power washing monkey shit off my balcony in Costa Rica. A group of howler monkeys decided to spend the night in the tree above my house. I quit drinking in 2014 with no clue of what awaited me on the other side. Earlier this year, I bought a house in Guanacaste, Costa Rica. I can easily say that wouldn't have been a possibility if I were still drinking. No question, without a doubt. So Costa Rica. I first came here in 2012 and told myself that one day I'd buy a house down here. The idea was always there. It was alive. It took me 10 years, and I had to quit drinking first, but here I am. Life is a blank canvas when you quit drinking. It's a full reset. It's a new start. It's fully up to you of what you do with that. So for myself, I love nature. always have. It's where I fill up. It's where I feel most whole. It's where I feel most at home. And the nature down here is full send, as Scott Fife and the kids would say. I've been here for four weeks, and here's some of the nature that I've seen so far. Brown hooded parrots, white fronted parrots, crested caracara, common parakeet, a a double-striped thick knee. Ty can confirm, these are all birds. Ty is a huge fan of birds, by the way, and Ty is the gal who edits the podcast, What's Up Ty? I've also seen iguanas, geckos, lizards, cane toads, common toads, tree frogs, wood turtles, howler monkeys, a cat-eyed snake bioluminescence this would be fireflies tons of them tarantulas scorpions coati fox raccoons and crazy insects that look like sticks listeners my inner child is saying thank you pablo thank you for ditching the booze and thank you for listening to our inner desires my inner child said thank you for being with me for no longer choosing alcohol over me for no longer peacing out or blacking out when life gets tough or scary I've never felt more connected to that inner child than I do right now. That connection with the bigger me has been the best part of my alcohol-free chapter, without a doubt. If you listened to last week's episode, it was titled, Now What? I've Quit Drinking and Now What? So listeners, I can't answer that for you. That's up to you. So I had no idea in 2014 when I quit drinking how life would unfold. Of course not. You don't have to know. You don't want to know. It's the adventure of life. So in this next chapter of your life, be open to what's on the other side. It probably won't involve power washing monkey shit off your deck. It will be something completely different. Something that you would have never imagined, but something perfect for just you. Okay, listeners, here is something else I want to do in chapter four. I want to showcase your talent, your art, your goals, what you want in an alcohol-free life. What has returned in your life now that you've removed alcohol? At the end of the RE podcast, after the outro music, we want to share your art. Maybe it's you playing the guitar. Maybe it's you playing the ukulele and singing. Maybe you want to read a poem. Maybe you want to read an affirmation for you or for everybody who wants to quit drinking. Simply a message to others. So I want you to send your edited, keyword edited, mp3 file to info at recoveryelevator.com. Make sure it's edited and no longer than three minutes. All right. And before we hear from Philip, let's hear a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp.
2: Life can be overwhelming, and many people are burned out without even knowing it. Some symptoms of burnout can include lack of motivation, fatigue, irritability, and more. For me, recovery takes a lot of work, and when I try to do too much at once while also trying to just live my life, I step into the zone of burnout. When we get sober, we want to change many things about our lives, and that's inspiring. However, remember that slow and steady wins the race. If we come out of the gates too intensely, we may burn out. BetterHelp Online Therapy wants to remind you to prioritize yourself. Talking with someone can help you figure out what's causing stress in your life and how you can best navigate it. My therapist has been instrumental in reminding me that I can do it all but I can't do it all at the same time. Having her perspective has allowed me to be more accountable to myself. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash elevator. That's better, H-E-L-P dot com slash elevator.
0: Recovery Elevator, I'd like to welcome Philip to the podcast. Philip, how are you? Great, Paul. Yeah, fantastic. Philip, it is great to be here with you. Listeners, Philip is a member of our private community cafe, RE, and once a month, we have a special chat series called, members, called A Member Spotlight, and I heard Philip share his story, and I said, my goodness, I got to get Philip back on the podcast and listeners, as you all may know, um, I've been about two years removed from interviews from the Recovery Elevator podcast. And I am so excited to be back here with you. I woke up this morning, I was excited. I was nervous, all the above all the emotions. But this is this is why I started this podcast to learn and hear from the interviewees. And uh, I'm real excited to, to get going with this. Philip, how are, how are you feeling?
1: I feel great, Paul. You know, I, I'm excited for the opportunity to share this. I think um these these podcasts were a big part in, of my early sobriety. I didn't really have the courage at first to go into an AA meeting, and I wanted to do something in sort of the privacy of my own car. And I found this podcast and just listening to other people's stories really opened the door to what the world of sobriety was like and how wonderful it can be and how relatable it can be. So I'm excited to do this.
0: Okay, great. We're gonna get into the no matter what club, some other topics that I wanna chat with you more about. But first off, Philip, let's get right into this. When was your last slushy? Like I said, I'm nervous. It's my first interview in two years. It's not slushy. Oh, when was your last drink? That's it, apologies.
1: My last alcoholic drink was in February 28th, 2019.
0: February 28th, 2019, congratulations. But I am curious, when was your last slushy, Philip?
1: Oh boy. (sighs) I was just in Puerto Rico a week ago and I really loved the non-alcoholic slushies down there. So i missed going about a week ago.
0: Are you kidding me? Your last slushie was a week ago?
1: Oh yeah. Those things in,
0: are amazing. In Puerto Rico, your last slushie was one week ago in Puerto Rico. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. I mean, I want to go into your AF journey, your AF story, but if we have time at the end, I want to unpack the slushie in Puerto Rico story. Because I think my last slushie was was several years ago. And I want to change that. And I want to change that soon. I want to shake my magic eight ball right now and say, the future looks very likely to have a slushie for Paul. Okay. Back on track, Paul. We're doing our first interview in two years. We've already deviated. (laughs) I think we can pull this one off. Here we go. All right, Philip. give listeners a little background about yourself, maybe where you're from, what you do for a living, your age, but most importantly, uh, what do you like to do for fun? And maybe you have a family, all that fun stuff. Ready, go.
1: Sure. So I, um, I'm i 46 years old. I live in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Um, I've been here since about 2006. I am an attorney and I live with my partner. We don't have any kids for, for fun. We, uh, we really like to travel and I am a distance runner.
0: What's the longest distance you've ever ran and was something chasing you?
1: Um, it was uh, 26.2 miles. I'm a marathon runner. Was something chasing me not literally, but maybe metaphorically, maybe we could probably go pretty deep about why I run, but uh, no, um, I I just really like the marathon distance. So I actually have a marathon coming up next week.
0: Next week. All right. Are slushies part of the training protocol?
1: Only after the marathon.
0: I love it. Okay. (laughs) 26.2 miles. That's a bucket list of mine that I'm putting out to the universe. And in fact, my accountant emailed me like three months ago, and said, I had a dream, you know, you and I were at a marathon together. And I responded, I said, was I running the marathon? And she said, yeah, you were running. Cause this has been something when I meditate, I've had some lower back pain and some physical stuff I've been struggling with, but I put it out in the universe. I try to vision me running a marathon and try to put to the test, some of the stuff that we practice in our courses and the, uh, and the, 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 restore course that I teach. And we'll see, we'll see how that goes. All right, Philip, got a question for you. When did you first realize that alcohol was no longer serving you?
1: You know, I think that question started slowly appearing in my brain, quietly appearing in my brain, sometimes around maybe 2017, I'd have to guess, you know, 2019 was ultimately when I ended up quitting drinking. I became okay for me to give you kind of a little bit of background on this.
0: For sure. Let's do it. And if I'm under, if my math is correct, your last drink was over three years ago, right? That's right. That's right. About three, three and some change. Okay. Let's do it. Yeah. Let's hear Um, your story. And, and remember, yeah. Phil, try to give us dates so we can keep, keep in touch uh, or follow chronologically.
1: Sure, sure. So I, um, you know, I really didn't start drinking until I was, you know, in college. I mean, I maybe drank once or twice in high school, but it wasn't until I got col- uh, to college and I went to a big party school and, you know, I partied. It, it didn't really seem like much of a problem. I was able to, you know, finish my classes and, you know, get good grades and all of that, you know, and I just got into life. Life just started happening. I, you know, got a job, was promoted, went to law school, you know, finished law school, became an attorney, you know, life was working fairly well for me. But as I was going on, you know, as all that was going on, I I noticed that, you know, drinking just was always a part of it in some fashion or another. It just didn't really ever seem like a problem. It was just like, oh yeah, we'll, we'll go to this happy hour. Of course, we're going to have some beers and some friends, you know? Oh, we're going to brunch with some friends. We'll we'll have some drinks there. Every evening was, you know, I'd get home from work and I'd have a stressful day and, you know, have a glass of wine and it would just kind of release relieve the anxiety. And it just seemed like that became a pattern for me. And then I, you know, I think one of the, the, biggest or the, the first flags in my head was like I was just thinking to myself you know you drink every day <laughs> like, like literally every day and I even like before a marathon the night before a marathon I would you know have I mean I wouldn't get drunk or you know trashed or anything I would just um you know have a drink to sort of ease the uh calm the anxiety a little bit before the marathon I'm like are you are drinking before <laughs> like night before a marathon that can't be good
0: let me ask you a question here. It sounds like you sure. realize that alcohol is just a part of everything. And was this something you slowly realized or Like, I don't have a problem, but I'm recognizing that everything I do is coupled with alcohol.
1: That's right. That's right. And I, I guess I, I shouldn't say I didn't know if I had a problem or, or not. As a matter of fact, like when I, um, you know, this question started coming up in my mind around 2017, And I think it was at the end of 2017, I was sort of percolating on the idea. I I was not ready to quit. Like alcohol was such a part of my life. And I associated it with joyful events, you know, happy hours and weddings and baseball games and beaches and all the fun things in life, you know, and I was just like, I can't, it, it felt to me like quitting drinking was quitting fun, quitting the joy of life. And so I really struggled with this question. And because I didn't you know, in my mind, I was thinking, well, you don't have any major, you know, problems with alcohol. You haven't gotten any DWIs. So you don't even drink and drive. Like I took Ubers everywhere. Right. I, I, so I just, I was like, why, why should I quit drinking? So I decided for my new year's resolution for 2018 that I, I didn't, I wasn't going to quit drinking, but I was, my new Year's resolution was this year, I'm going to explore my relationship with alcohol. That's it. Um, I just wanted to know was I addicted? How badly was I addicted? Or was I not? Like maybe I would quit drinking and find out, Hey, this wasn't a problem. Maybe I can moderate, you know, but I just wanted to explore that question. So I tried quitting for a year. I said, all right, just see if you can quit for one year, see what happens. And I went four months without a problem. And I wasn't a part of a group or didn't listen to podcasts or anything like that.
0: Well, yeah, back it up. When you said four months in 2018, new year's resolution, Great job. I mean, four months is quite impressive. Wasn't a problem. And unpack that a little bit. Wasn't a problem. no cravings. There were no stressful days. Uh, yeah. Tell me more about that period.
1: No, that's not at all what I mean by that. <laughs> there were cravings. There were stressful days. But I was, I guess what I'd say is, you know, I was able to do it, but I had to put a lot of work into it. I actually kept a little. Uh, a chart. Um, I quit smoking back in 2003. And the way that I did that is I kept a little calendar and I'd mark off every single day on that calendar, just so that I had something tangible to show that I was making some kind of, you know, progress. And then I also kept like a little diary, like, well, what were your cravings that day? And I unpacked those and thought about those those cravings and like, well, what really triggered you? Even whether I drink or not. And for that four month period, I didn't drink. But I still considered those cravings the equivalent of drinking because what it was, was alcohol pulling at me. It was an addiction. It was uh, signs of my addiction, right? So I decided I wanted to unpack that. I really wanted to learn that about what were my triggers. So that's why, you know, I kept that diary. Um, I kept a Google spreadsheet and it helped me. I didn't have to worry about explaining to everybody that I was quitting drinking forever because I wasn't. I just told them I was training for a marathon and that I wasn't going to drink while I was training, and everybody seemed to accept that. The marathon was over, and I wanted to continue not drinking. So, but we went on vacation, and vacation was a trigger for me. And I ended up drinking on that vacation. Okay.
0: Oh, so, that was four months. And then in.
1: The, yeah, exactly. Okay, okay. So, four months into that, I, I ended up drinking, and I kind of, you know, and again, I just, you know, I had some beers. It wasn't, you know, like I went on a bender and went lost in the woods for a few days or anything but it was um you know ended that streak but then when i came back i stopped drinking for a while and then my sister came to visit and i was like well i'll I'll drink now you know and then she left and i'm like i'll stop again and then you know somebody else came to visit and then we drank so and just kind of bounced back and forth like that for the rest of that summer and that fall until, you know, by the end of the year, I was drinking exactly the same that I was at the beginning of the year and not even keeping the diary, not even paying attention to it. I was just back to that daily cycle. And that so daily you say cycle
0: back to drinking the regular amount. That's daily every night.
1: Exactly. Okay.
0: A yep. couple, yep. couple pints. What did that look like? What were you drinking?
1: Um, you know, my drink of choice was brandy. <laughs> I don't know many people who had that, but, but uh, it was, you know, beer was too filling and. I don't know. I just would sip on brandy. It was basically like whiskey, except sweeter, you know? Sure. Yeah. So, so yeah. So I would just sip on that when I got home and I would, you know, until I went to bed and then I went to bed. The problem was, you know, the same problems that I was having back in 2017 came back. I was having trouble sleeping. I, you know, was gaining weight. I just had this general, you know, depression that was always going on. And I, I said to myself at the end of the year, you know, this is this is, you know, when the year ended, and um, you know, and then I kind of reflected on, well, what did you learn from your New Year's resolution? Here, I had to say to myself, you learned that that it was really difficult to just moderate. Sure. You know, um, when you tried to go back into the moderation, that's when you know you basically just slipped right back into into drinking. And what I learned was that when, when you, when I chose the path of moderation, what that meant is that every single event that I went to, I had to choose whether or not today I was going to drink. And if I chose no, that was a, there was a big part of me that was battling. Yes, 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 yes. (laughs) So I had a battle in my mind every single time that there was an event, there was a baseball game, there was a, you know, a, a beach or a, you know, happy hour or whatever. I had to make that decision whether or not today was going to be a drinking day or not a drinking day. And more times than not, it slipped right back into, yes, today's going to be a drinking day until sure. I was back drinking, you know, there's a lot of, of events out there, Philip sure are. <laughs> that's, that's exactly <laughs> yeah. right.
0: <laughs> yeah. 5k, 10k, 26.2 mile K just kidding. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, but I mean, you, you make a joke about that, but it's true. There is basically an event to drink every single day of every single week of every single year, you Absolutely. Know? you know, and there were a few other things that were happening that I just like some other really big red flags that happened in that period at the end of 2018, beginning of 2019. Um, I mentioned my sleep was bad. I was waking up at two in the morning every night and i you know, wanted to tell myself that, well, you have a stressful job, you're a litigator, you know, and that was my excuse. But the reality was there was a poison, you know, running through my veins every single night that was screwing with my sleep cycle. And there was, there was a day when I, I was like laying there staring at the ceiling at two in the morning and I was like, God, please let me go back to sleep. I had to get up and run uh, with a friend of mine at five 30 in the morning. Like
0: January right
1: yeah it was in January Minnesota pure dark ice cold wind zero oh, degrees you know five thirty. <laughs> like we get done with our run and it's still pitch black out you know uh, and I was just laying in bed going oh, I've got to go to sleep because if I don't sure. then I go do my run I'm going to be shot all day it's going to be another horrible day so I was like well you know what can help you go back to sleep brandy
0: brandy <laughs> so
1: yeah. i went downstairs and i poured myself some brandy and then i was like sitting there at 2 30 in the morning three o'clock in the morning saying um it's not night anymore it's morning you're drinking in the morning you're running in two hours you're drinking um two hours before you're running and that was another major flag in my mind that said phil 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 <laughs> like, hey, this was january how far 20 down the road do you want to go january 2019 okay yep. yeah yeah, yeah. Yep. So And then um, miraculously, I have no idea how, you know, I fell asleep, but then got up at when my alarm went off at five in the morning, put on my layers and layers and layers and hats and, you know, gloves and all that stuff and went out for the run, my headlamp too. You got to have a headlamp when you're out well, there. Yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah. And met, met my running friends. And one of them said, bill whoa you smell like ketones he's a doctor and i was like what's a ketone well, it was just the byproduct of alcohol and i was like i made up a lie i was like oh yeah there was a work event last night and i drank too much and they were laughing about it nobody thought twice about it because sure. again we live in a society where people don't really think twice about these things
0: let's back it up a second did that doctor say it's almost a role play for a second here hey philip it's you know it's what we're at five what time was around 5 30 in the morning sun's not five even 30. up yeah, yeah. And he's, Hey, Philip, you smell like ketones. You, 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 fabricated a story. You began running. What were those first couple steps? Like when you're running with your buddies, Were you like, Holy shit, I just lied to my friends about alcohol. I smell like alcohol. Um, I had brandy last night. That's a good song too. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah. Like what were those first couple steps? Like when the sun's not out, it's freezing, like doing all that without a hangover or without that that guilt or whatnot sounds brutal. I don't think there's not a lot of people on the planet that would run in January at five 30 in the morning, but then to do that with alcohol, like what, what was that like? Were you, was it like this come to Jesus moment? Like, Oh, like there's some changes need to happen.
1: Uh, yes, Paul. Yes. And no. I mean, in some ways I was um, used to, not necessarily having drunk. Like I didn't do that very often, Paul, that was only once or twice when that happened, when I actually woke up and, and drink um, to put myself back to sleep. But um, I had gotten quite used to, you know, running in the morning, um, not on on poor sleep and having drank the night before. That was basically what I did every single time I ran. So it wasn't that unusual for me to be out there running and just going, oh, God, I hate this. Why do I do this sport again? I mean, that's what's going through my head because I'm so exhausted. Um, as I'm doing my run, but I'm running like it's my job. You know, sure. I'm not enjoying it. I'm just doing it because I feel like I signed up for something and I got to do this, and blah, 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 blah. There was no joy to it. And, but the other part of your question um, yes, there was something different. Like I, I had never lied about drinking before. I had never even gotten up and drank in the middle of the night before. I, um, I had never like been accused of smell, smelling like alcohol in the morning before, you know. So I could either have written that off as, well, this is a one-time event. This isn't a pattern or um, looked at it a little bit more seriously. And I chose to look at it a little bit more seriously. And that's when I decided that that I just needed to quit drinking, I oh that morning I also drove to work after the run and got into an elevator into my building and found myself holding my breath in the elevator going up, to, you know, that's my right. rear, yeah, that's right. Know? And that was I'm another the 45th
0: point. floor. You gotta be kidding me right now.
1: It was the 40th floor. Yeah. Are I you serious? Like, oh, yeah, okay. yeah. And I was I had to hold my breath as I was going up, and all these people are getting on and off the elevator, and I'm like. This is hard to hold my breath. <laughs> yeah,
0: so you might need yeah. to quit
1: alcohol you're drinking. People keep you're stopping, hitting
0: their floors first. <laughs>
1: exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, but it was it was it was a moment in my life when I just said, you know, uh, look, maybe it's not a problem right now. Maybe that was just a one one time event. I don't know. But here's the thing: you do know that you're you know forty, your early mid forties, and what's this going to look like in your early mid fifties? What's this going to look like in your early mid sixties and so on and so forth. And I just did not see a path going forward where this was going to get better and not worse. And I had to just say to myself, Hey, what's it going to be like to live alcohol free? And, and that's, that's when I decided to quit drinking.
0: For sure. Philip, I I love it. That reminded me of a time. I was a senior in college and morning class on a Tuesday morning. It was almost stadium seating and a gentleman named Matthew Greco turned around at like 9. A.M. He goes, yo, Paul, where, where was the party last night? Because alcohol was just flowing out my veins. Right. I mean, he could, could smell it from probably four to five feet in front of me. And same thing. I lied to him. And I said, oh yeah, there was a party last night. And I went to a really small college and we're all connected. I saw on his face, it was like, he knew it was like, there was a party last night. There was no party last night. And luckily the the professor was like, all right, everybody. And the case was closed, but same thing. I was like, damn it. I just got busted on a Tuesday morning for smelling like alcohol and lied about it. Um, right. yeah. So Philip, I, um, I want to dedicate time or save some time to how you did it, how you quit. Um, cause you, you were dropping value bomb after value bomb in the member spotlight the other night, but walk us through, it sounds like we're at about a month. We're in January, 2018. Walk us through that last little window before you, you said adios.
1: Yeah. So I, I knew, I I really spent some time thinking about all this, Paul, you know, basically I saw three paths forward for myself. You know, I said, I can either continue drinking like I'm drinking and not do anything about this. And then that's when I was thinking about the long-term timeline. And I'm like, I do, that's not an option. That is not an option. I am not going to waste the time that my future, um, you know, going down that to down, down that road. Moderation is the other one you know, maybe I can cut back. Maybe I can just be an occasional drinker, you know, and just drink at the special occasions here or that, here or there. Well, I had tried that, you know, last, you know, over the course of the last year, I, you know, after I had drank on that vacation in June, I kind of bounced back and forth between the drinking and the the non-drinking. And I learned that that was really, really hard. (laughs) You know, some people in sobriety say it's impossible. Maybe it is, maybe it's not, I don't know, but I do know that it's very, very hard. And that it, every single day requires a decision about whether or not you're going to drink. And that's a lot of energy wasting uh, to drinking or not drinking. And the third option is abstaining altogether. And to me, it seemed like the abstaining altogether was the easiest route. You know, people say that, you know, quitting drinking is remarkable. It's It's got to be so hard to do, but it's not. It's the path of least resistance. You know, it's the easiest path forward, at least for me because I don't have to debate it anymore. It's one decision that I had to make. And then that decision is done. We've talked about, um, you know, I've heard people talk about the, the no matter what club, <laughs> you know, in um, in sobriety. And somebody actually within Café Ari mentioned that to me. And the idea was, it just resonated with me. It's the idea that I don't drink no matter what, you know, and I said, but is there an actual club? And she's like, no, it's just a phrase, you know. But the idea is that, You know, you belong to the, the, you don't drink no matter what period. And I loved that. I didn't have to wonder if, you know, in life's most joyful moments or sad moments or whatever, was this going to be an exception? It's not an exception because I've made that decision and that decision is done. Now, the only job that I have to do in each one of those, those life moments is get through it without drinking. And that's how I got sober. It's just learning how to get through those moments without drinking.
0: Sure. Philip, I want to open up that statement, the path of least resistance. I heard that a couple of weeks ago, wrote it down, put it in my podcasting notes. It's probably going to be the title of this or an episode, the path of least resistance. And I want to, I want to reiterate that, right? You have, you have, you have options, right? You don't have to quit drinking. This is exploratory. You might be listening to this podcast and wondering, right? You don't have to quit drinking. But, uh, with you and I could see this, this as well, I had that option just to continue going down the same road. That's grim, painful. I've done it for the last 15 years. The writing is on the wall. Nothing's guaranteed, but I got a good damn idea of what's going to happen. The other one is moderation. I've tried that. It's impossible. It's mentally exhausting. I mean, absolutely a heavy load of the CPU of the brain. Every day you're thinking if you're drinking, if you're not who you're hiding it from. It's just, it's exhausting. And the third one is abstaining, is in not drinking. And I reached that too, uh, a couple months in when I, when I first quit drinking in 2010 is saying, this is the easiest of all of them. It's the path of least resistance. This is where I'm fighting the less. This is where I lift my, my oars up, right? Row, row, row your boat. And I just cruise down the cruise down the river. That is the path of least resistance. So listeners, when you have this mental block. I can't quit drinking for the rest of my life. First off, never say that, but you say it's just going to be so hard. Yeah, it's not going to be a cakewalk. I mean, Philip and I will be the first to tell you that, but it's easier and more enjoyable than the other two options. And, and you mentioned, Philip, you, were, you, you basically had to learn how to get through these moments. You, you, you basically had to live life with, without it. And, and so walk us through, you know, February 28th, you got sober, you quit drinking of 2019. You know What was that like? Um, was there a, was there like a rock bottom moment there, um, that pushed you over the edge? Uh, and what were the first days like first week? Like,
1: yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't want to say that there was a rock bottom moment that just said, okay, today's last day. Boom. I'm never doing it again. It really was. I spent time thinking about it and, um, we went on vacation. I like to travel a lot. I mention that <laughs> she's
0: in Puerto Rico. It's still on my notepad. We're going there.
1: Well, I actually was in Puerto Rico, and we, okay. we went off to this island uh, called Vieques. And I was, you know, I was drinking when I was out there. Again, I wasn't problem drinking or anything. It was just daiquiris here, there, whatever. And I just had decided that if this is going to happen, it's going to happen, and um, and you can't just keep pushing this date down the road. So you have to choose a date and then just be comfortable with it. Make that decision, and then and then move on. And I made that decision the day that I flew back from Puerto Rico. And I remember my last flight, uh, drink was on that flight that on the way back from Puerto Rico. And I haven't had a drink since I kept, I kept that. Um, I mean, this is really nerdy, but I did kept keep that spreadsheet. And that was, uh, that was a great diary for me to just unpack anytime I had a craving. What was the craving about, um, what triggered it? Um, and then I actually kept track of the number of cravings per week. And <laughs> I had a column that, you know, we just at the end of the week, I would just say, okay, this week I had 36 cravings, you know, um, the next week I had 28. That was just a way for me to see long term trend lines. You know, cause you can have a really bad week or a bad three or four days. And sometimes in the middle of that, without thinking, seeing the big picture, you might think I'm failing at this, mm-hmm. but then when you can see sort of a big picture of, Hey, your cravings are going down. What that means is the addiction that you, the physical addiction that you have to this is, is, is um, waning mm-hmm. and just takes time. And, and that helped me see that, that um, I was making progress.
0: Sure. Did you uh, have a, a level ten in there in those first couple months where you're like, "Oh man, I, I got to go back."
1: Not that I had to go back because remember, I I had already decided that sure. that was not an option. I was a yeah. member of the no matter what club, right? Yeah. But that there were some really tough moments, and actually, some of the toughest moments, Paul, came later in sobriety when I was I was um, really surprised by them. Mm. Like uh, one of the toughest weekends was Memorial Day weekend, which was you know three months into sobriety. By then I was like, hey, I'm coasting. I don't have any cravings this week, you know. And then that weekend, I was in I couldn't leave my house. I was really struggling all weekend. Mm. I got through it, you know. Um
0: How did you get through that weekend? Were did you uh, were you listening to podcasts or you mentioned you don't go to AA or at that time. Um how did you get through those that weekend?
1: Well, um actually Paul, I I have gone to some AA meetings. AA hasn't been a big part of my sobriety toolbox and it's not because I don't like AA. It's mostly because it just it just has it just hadn't fit in my schedule very sure. well. But yeah, I listen to podcasts. Uh, I've listened to almost every single podcast <laughs> that you put out. Oh,
2: thanks, thanks.
0: for um, listening, Philip.
1: Oh, it helped me tremendously. You know, um, I did join Cafe Re and. Uh, and you know, that was really helpful to me too, because I was engaging with people at first. I kind of was afraid to engage I just, you know, and see these people commenting on Facebook posts and I would just read them and not really engage back. But when I started engaging, you know, it really, really helped, you know, even just that, like, if I didn't have to put something out there for myself, just to say, Hey, congratulations on. You know, hitting a milestone to somebody who posted about a the milestone they're proud of, or, you know, just giving some feedback to somebody who's struggling with a moment or something, giving support to somebody who came in and said, Hey, I had a day one. Those kind of things um, helped because when I would make a comment, they would comment back. And over time, I mean, the nice thing about these, not to plug, you know, the cafe RE, but I mean, the nice thing about what, uh, those, that, that group is that they're capped at you know what 300 ish uh, around number of people so there's enough people to keep them engaged but not too many people that you never feel like you get to know people so i've gotten to know a lot of people um many of whom have become very close friends of mine as a matter of fact um i've got two of them who are uh, three of them who are going to be uh meeting me in boston for the boston marathon this weekend you know
0: no way are you serious you're running the marathon with a couple other cafe area members
1: they're not running the marathon, but they're coming to cheer me
0: on. And you're yeah. doing the Boston marathon, right? Yeah. yeah. And if I understand the registration for that, I can't just go and, and log in, pay a registration fee and run it. You have to break some sort of land record for your county in, uh, in, in <laughs> Minnesota, right? For your age bracket. I, well, mean, I mean, kudos. I would. From what I hear, it's an incredibly difficult event to to register for or to be accepted. Am I right on
1: this? Well, you have to get a qualifying time. Yes. Um, I mean, you don't have to (laughs) break a land record, but, um, but you do need to get a qualifying time. And, um, and it's something that, that I have worked very hard for Paul. I've, I've run 14, 15 marathons. I thought I would never qualify for Boston marathon. I was like 20, 30 minutes off, which in the marathon time, that's a lot of time to shave off in order to uh, qualify for Boston. When I quit drinking, this is kind of transitioning, I think, into another topic about like, well, how has, how so has sobriety, just... yeah, how has, has sobriety helped uh, uh, helped your life? Um, running is, I mean, it's helped in every way that you can imagine, but, um, but running is one way. I used to get up every morning and go, oh, I hate this, why am I doing this? Ugh, and just like fight my way through a, a run. In sobriety, because I slept well, because I don't have poison going through my brain, because I'm just clear headed and free from that addiction, Every morning I get up and run, Paul, I can't tell you, I get the runner's high. I never got the runner's high when I was drinking, you know, like this morning I went on a six mile run and I was like listening to music and just looking at how beautiful the world is. And, you know, I get that when I run almost every single time and that translated into me running faster and training better and training smarter and training stronger. And then all all of a sudden um, I got a Boston qualifying time and here I am.
0: So I think it's safe to say that you're drinking. There's no way you're running the Boston Marathon.
1: Not for me. I mean, sure. There are people who drink who, oh, sure. who run oh, the Boston you. Marathon. Oh, yeah. No, not a chance. I would not be running the Boston Marathon on Monday if it was not for sobriety.
0: Yeah. Wow. Uh, and that's great to share with people, right? You enjoy your hobby. <laughs> you enjoy this skill. There's a thing called a runner's high, which which would I attribute that as the flow state where you're in a perfect state of presence, um, perfect acceptance with the pain on your feet and your body. And yeah, it's, it's fantastic. Um, Phil, we probably got about 10 minutes left. Um, uh, got the rapid fire round at the end, but I, I want to ask you some more questions. You know, what are some valuable resources? Like what really worked for you? What's the one thing that you want, or a couple things that you want listeners to know about that helped you on your AF journey?
1: You know, I have to say that connecting with other people, um, has really helped. The the weird thing about, Alcohol, as far as a drug is concerned, is it's you know we've we've heard them say this before. It's the one drink where you have to make an it's the one drug where you have to make an excuse why you don't take it. You know, yeah, that's the world we live in. You know, and and it's it's bizarro. You know, when's the last time you told somebody I don't do cocaine and they say, oh, I'm so sorry, or oh, is everything okay? (laughs) You know, (laughs) bizarro. I think
0: that's the right word. It's bizarro, Bill. It really is. (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
1: So um, so I think. You know, and the other thing that they say is, you know, you're the average of the your closest five people, right? So, over time, I have really built a community of people who don't drink. I mean, of course, there are people in my life who do drink, and you know, people who are very close to you and people who I love, but um, but having a having a group of friends of people who just don't drink, it's so it's so wonderful to just be able to talk about the challenges or the weirdness of the rest of the world, (laughs) not us, but the rest of the world, you know, um, all all of the things that go along with sobriety with, um, with, with other people is invaluable. Um, And I think you can really, I mean, again, I found that in cafe RE, I know that there's a lot of resources out there, but it takes a little bit of work, but that's, that's what I'd say.
0: For sure. The people, the connection, I love it. And Philip, what's a non-negotiable for you on this sobriety path?
1: non-negotiable, you know, I, I think it, for me, it just comes back to that no matter what club, you know, it's just, for me, it's just not an option to drink. And I, 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 that helps me, you know, in just about every situation that I go into, you know, if I sit down at a restaurant and everybody's ordering a bottle of wine, you know, they might as well, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, they might as well be ordering in Russian, you know, like I, I don't speak that language. That's not mm-hmm. for me. So I I don't know if that answers your question.
0: Sure. Yeah. And Philip, what are your, what are your thoughts on relapse?
1: I think a relapse is, it's a learning opportunity. And sometimes like some of the language that we use, like even words like relapse can just sound so dangerous or so like maybe more than what it is. Um,
0: In in fact, I like to call it field research because like you said, there's a, there's a huge opportunity baked into every relapse, but that's, we need to soften that word. And I, I like, I felt like field research. Yeah.
1: I like that too, Paul, but one of the things that I tell people or I told myself and I've gently tried to tell others too, is that in order to call it research, you got to write the paper. (laughs) In other words, words, I think that um, if it happens you know, there's no sense in beating yourself up. Mm -hmm. What it did, it taught you something about maybe where where a trigger point is for you. Um, But I think it's very important to take some time and reflect on that trigger point. Instead of just saying, oh, shrugging your shoulders and moving on, you know, you can shrug your shoulders about it happening, but spend a little bit of time to think, Well, what was that and how can I prevent that in the future? And once you write that paper, then I think you're really, um, um, getting value out of that experience.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Great point. Some people do field research and this is, I'm no different here. And instead of writing that paper, we go straight to self-loathing and shame and guilt, right. And never get to the exploratory or the analysis phase of that. So yeah, baked into every relapse, uh, baked, baked into every field research experience is a massive lesson that, uh, that I recommend listeners, you try to get there as fast as you can, because beating yourself up, we've all done that. That doesn't do shit in the long run. Right. But you got to pull, you know, where was I, what environment was it? Was it a work situation? Was I hungry? Was I tired? Was I lonely? Was I, you know, there's the whole acronym there. Right. Um, for sure. I I really like that. Uh, and now fill up before we get to the rapid fire round, tell us what were you doing in, in Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico and tell me what flavor of slushy was it? Was there ice? (laughs) Um, what was the, what was the glass like? And was there a straw? (laughs)
1: Um, well, we try to go down to Puerto Rico, you know, every year we've been doing this for about four or five years. Um, we go to this little Island. Called, I shouldn't even say this on this podcast. Cause I want to keep this Island. Secret. Sure, sure. I, hear you. I
0: don't live in Bozeman, Montana.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but there's uh there's this beautiful little Island off of um, the main Island of Puerto Rico called Vieques. That is, it's just so off the beaten path, wild horses running around the Island um, it, it, beaches that you couldn't believe. There's nobody else there. It's amazing. I mean, there are people who live there, but so we go there and, um, and, you know, it, the slushies, I think, you know, I, we, I had like peach slushies and, you know, mango slushies. I mean, I just. I don't How know much
0: was a mango slushie? Um, I don't know. Three bucks, four bucks. Three bucks. Yeah. yeah. Um, and <laughs> that sounds incredible. <laughs> when we went on uh, our Asia adventure, sober travel trip in 2018, I, uh, me and my buddy Dusty, he's been on this podcast. We were getting slushies for a dollar. And I got a jackfruit mango and a strawberry slushie. You just got three at once. <laughs> you oh got three gosh. at once too. It was so incredible. Wonderful. And so, yeah, you're, you're on this Island in Puerto Rico drinking slushies, mango slushie. You said a peach slushie, were there any other flavors? Just those two
1: Oh, I mean, just I, two
0: big hitters already. I'm just curious.
1: Yeah. I, I, I can't remember the other flavors, Paul. I just felt like I was having some kind of, you know, non-alcoholic daiquiri or non-alcoholic whatever. Um, uh, almost every day when we were in Puerto Rico, you know, my first again going back to vacation, my first vacation uh, sober, 100% sober, was to Hawaii, and it was not long after um, I got sober. It was only like a month or so into sobriety, and I was terrified. I thought, "There's no way I'm going to be able to enjoy the beauty of a once-in-a-lifetime trip to Hawaii like this without alcohol," you know, and I put it on um, one of the the chat boards. Um, I think it was in cafe R.E. and somebody responded and said, you know, um, enjoy all like, you're going to have beautiful, like delicious fruit drinks out there and, you know, enjoy those because they're so special and they're so wonderful. And you're going to be present and, and conscious to enjoy every moment of that trip. They said it more artfully than I just did, but it really helped me say, Oh, wait a second. Like you can actually have a very special treat. Like I thought, alcohol was without alcohol, and um, and really kind of celebrate those those moments like that, and that's that really helped me.
0: I love it, Phil. Uh, Philip, we have reached the rapid fire round. If you could answer each question within ten to thirty seconds, are you ready? I think so. All right, let's do this, Philip. What's the one thing you've learned about yourself since quitting drinking?
1: The one thing I've learned about myself. Not two, um, one. Um, I'm stronger than I think.
0: Hell yeah, I love that. What is a memorable, memorable moment? First interview for a while. First interview after a while here. What is a memorable moment a life without alcohol has given you?
1: I'm going to run the Boston Marathon, Paul.
0: Hells to the yes. I love that with some other friends who don't drink. How cool is yeah. that? Uh, number three, what's your favorite AF drink, Philip? Mango slushy? I'm going to have to say, I'm
1: going to say mango slushy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Were you really going to say that? I, I don't want to take it. It was still your thumb. I was going
1: to I was going to say, uh, my La- LaCroix bubble waters.
0: <laughs> there we go. Uh, Philip, what's the point of life?
1: <laughs> In 30 you seconds got, left.
0: You got eight seconds left, buddy.
1: <laughs> um, be kind.
0: All right. What's your favorite eighties or nineties band? Oh
1: boy. Paul, I didn't read these ahead of time. I should have. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm going to say you two is the most formative for me.
0: Okay. That checks out. Um, What has recovery made possible for you, Philip, besides the Boston Marathon?
1: Oh, man. It's opened up so much in my life, Um, connecting with others. My career has grown in ways that I couldn't imagine. Health, everything.
0: Philip, if you had a pet turtle, what would you name it? Pet turtle? Yeah.
1: Uh, Frank, obviously. Frank,
0: okay. Mm -hmm. Philip, pineapple on pizza, yes or no? Absolutely. Okay, That could have, we could that this interview could have derailed fast right there. All right. Wait, are you, are you he'll, yes or no on that one? Oh, hell yes. Hells okay, yes. good, yeah. good, good. All right. Number the last one, Philip, you're rocking this, by the way, what parting piece of guidance can you give the listeners? Uh,
1: sobriety isn't limited to only people who need to quit drinking. Sobriety isn't limited to people who identify as alcoholics, whether or not, you know, you do sobriety can be for any person. Out there no matter how much you drink how little you drink how strong of a problem you have how you know how little of a problem you have um sobriety can be for anybody and that was something i'm probably gonna go over my time on this one but it's <laughs> this is one of my bigger lessons i wrestled for a long time in early sobriety about whether or not i was an alcoholic whether i had um a drinking problem or not and eventually i came to the conclusion that I don't care what the answer to that is, whether I'm an alcoholic or not, whether I have a problem drinking or not, whether I need to drink, uh, quit drinking or not. I can quit drinking no matter the answer to those questions. And that was something that was very freeing for me, that sobriety can be for anybody.
0: I love that. And last question, Philip, uh, you might need to ditch the booze if line. And for example, I pulled one for you earlier. You might need to ditch the booze if you justify that you don't have a drinking problem because you don't drink and drive, but you only take Ubers anyways, <laughs> right?
1: Yeah, that's a good one. If you catch yourself holding your breath on a morning elevator ride, you might need to ditch the booze too. <laughs> there
0: we go. I love it. Philip. what a pleasure. I'm so glad my first interview back was with you. I looked at my, on my notepad. It looks like you, you dropped 78 value bombs. Um yeah, it it was just I loved the interview. This it made me it gave me a reminder of why why I did this, right? And after every interview, I feel connected to a the person I'm chatting with, but I just feel more connected in general, less alone. Um, it gives me sobriety fuel on my journey. So thank you very much for for giving your time today to the podcast, Philip. I appreciate it.
1: Uh, Paul, it's been a lot of fun. Thank you for doing this.
0: The path of least resistance. If you're still drinking, I want you to think about this from now until next Monday's episode. Try to keep track of how much energy your drinking is consuming or how much energy you're dedicating towards the addiction or how much energy the addiction is pulling or sucking from you physically and mentally. Think about when you're hungover and maybe when you're not hungover, are you thinking about when you're going to drink again? Think about writing it down if you need to see it in a different way. All right, Recovery Elevator, I love you guys. Please lighten up. Remember Rule 22 and never take yourself too seriously on this journey. I'll see you guys next week.